Book Four, Chapter Seven of Under the Witch's Moon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Under the Witch's Moon by Nathan Galazier. Book Four, Chapter Seven. A Roman Medea. It was a moonless night. Deep repose was upon the seven-hilled city. The sky was intensely dark, but the stars shone out full and lustrous. Venus was almost setting. Mars glowed red and fiery towards the zenith. The constellations seemed to stand out from the infinite spaces behind them. Orion glittered like a giant in golden armor. Cassiopeia shone out in her own peculiar radiance, and the Pleiades in their misty brightness. A litter, borne by four stalwart Nubians, and preceded by two torch-bearers, slowly emerged from the gates of Theodora's palace, and took the direction of the gorge which divides the Mount of Cloisters from Mount Testaccio. Owing to the prevailing darkness which made all objects, moving and immobile, indistinguishable, the inmates of the litter had not drawn the curtains, so as to admit the cooling night air. There was a fixedness in Theodora's look and a recklessness in her manner that showed anger and determination. It struck Persephone, who was seated by her side, with a sort of terror, and for once she did not dare to accost her mistress with her usual banter and freedom. Theodora had spent the early hours of the evening in a half-obscured room, whose sable hangings seemed to reflect the unrest of her soul. She had forbidden the lamps to be lighted, brooding alone in darkness and solitude. Then she had summoned Persephone, ordered her litter-bearers, and commanded them to take her to the house of Sidonia, a woman versed in all manner of lore that shunned the light of day. "'It must be done. It shall be done,' she muttered, her white face tense, her white hands clenched. Suddenly her hand closed round Persephone's wrist. "'She defies me, knowing herself in my power,' she said. "'We shall see who shall conquer.' "'The Lady Helene is as fearless of death as yourself, Lady Theodora,' Persephone replied. "'Indeed, she seems rather to desire it, for no woman ever faced you with such defiance as did she when you put before her the fatal choice.' Theodora's face shone ghostly in the nocturnal gloom. "'We shall see. She shall desire death a thousandfold ere she quits the abode I have assigned to her. God! Not even Roxana had dared to say to me what this one did.' "'Nor would her shafts have struck so deep a wound,' Persephone interposed with studied insolence. Theodora's grip tightened round the girl's wrist. "'You admire the Lady Helene?' she said softly. But there was a gleam in her eyes like liquid fire. "'As one brave woman admires another,' Persephone replied fearlessly, turning her beautiful face to the speaker. "'You may require all your courage some day to face another task,' Theodora replied. "'Beware!' lest you tempt me to do what I might regret." Persephone turned white. Her bosom heaved. Her eyes met Theodora's. I shall welcome the ordeal with all my heart. Theodora relapsed into silence, oppressed by dark thoughts, the memory of unresisted temptations, a chaotic world where black, unscalable rocks, like circles of the inferno, hemmed her in on every side while devils whispered into her ears the words that gave shape and substance to her desire to destroy her rival in the love of the one man whom, in all her changeable life, she had truly desired. "'Deem you that I have aught to fear from such as you? Deem you that Tristan would defile his manhood with the courtesan queen of Rome?' The words still boomed in her ears, the words and the tone in which they had been hurled in her face. 
Even to this moment she knew not what restrained her from strangling Helene. It seemed to her that only in a physical encounter would she quench the hatred she bore this white, beautiful statue, who never raised her voice while the fire of her blue eyes seared her very soul. A thousand frightful forms of evil, stalking shapes of death, came and went before her imagination, which caused her to clutch first at one, then at another of the dire suggestions that came in crowds which overwhelmed her powers of choice. Then, like an inspiration from the very depths of hell, a thought flashed into her mind, and no sooner conceived than she determined upon its execution. The laboratory of the woman whom Theodora was seeking on this night was in an old house midway in the gorge. In a deep hollow, almost out of sight, stood a square structure of stone, gloomy and forbidding, with narrow windows and an uninviting door. Tall pines shadowed it on one side, a small rivulet twisted itself like a live snake half round it on the other. A plot of green grass, ill-kept and teeming with noxious weeds, fennel, thistle, and foul stramonium, was surrounded by a rough wall of loose stone. And here lived the woman who supplied all those who desired her wares, and plied her nocturnal trade. Sidonia was tall and straight of uncertain age, though she might have been reckoned at forty. The whiteness of her skin was enhanced by her blue-black hair and lustrous black eyes. Far from forbidding, she exercised a sinister charm upon those who called upon her, and who vainly tried to reconcile her trade with the traces of a great beauty. Yet her thin, cruel lips never smiled, unless she had an object to gain by assuming a disguise as foreign to her as light is to an angel of darkness. Hardly any known poison there was, which was not obtainable at her hands. In a sombre chest, carved with fantastic figures from Etruscan designs, were concealed the subtle drugs, cabalistical formulas, and alchemic preparations which were so greatly in demand during those years of darkness. In the most secret place of all were deposited, ready for use, a few vials of crystal liquid, every single drop of which contained the life of a man, and which, administered in due proportion of time and measure, killed and left no trace. Here was the sublimated dust of the deadly nightshade which kindles the red fires of fever and rots the roots of the tongue. Here was the fetid powder of stramonium that grips the lungs like an asthma, anquinia, that shakes its victims like the cold hand of the miasma in the Pontine marshes, the essence of poppies ten times sublimated, a few grains of which bring on the stupor of apoplexy, and the sardonic plant that kills its victims with the frightful laughter of madness upon their countenance, were here. The knowledge of these and many other cursed herbs, once known to Medea in the Colchian land, and transplanted to Greece and Rome with the enchantments of their use, had been handed down by a long succession of sorcerers and poisoners to the woman who seemed endowed by nature as the legitimate inheritrix of this lore of hell. At last the litter of Theodora was set down by its swarthy bearers before the threshold of Sidonia's house. Theodora alighted, and, after commanding the Africans to await her return, ascended the narrow stone steps alone and knocked at the door. After a brief wait, shuffling steps were heard from within, and a bent, lynx-eyed individual of oriental origin opened the door, inviting the visitor to enter. She was ushered into a dusky hallway in which brooded strange odors, thence into a dimly lighted room, the laboratory of Sidonia. 
Hardly had she seated herself when the woman entered and stood face to face with Theodora. The eyes of the two women instantly met in a searching glance that took in the whole ensemble, bearing, dress, and almost the very thoughts of each other. In that one glance each knew and understood, each knew that she could trust the other, in evil if not in good. And there was trust between them. The evil spirits that possessed their hearts clasped hands, and a silent league was formed in their souls ere a word had been spoken. Sidonia wore a long purple robe, totally unadorned. The sleeves were wide and revealed her white bare arms. Her finely cut features were crossed with thin lines of cruelty and cunning. No mercy was in her eyes, still less on her lips, and none in her heart, cold to every human feeling. "'The Lady Theodora is fair to look upon,' Sidonia broke the silence. "'All women admit it, all men confess it.' And her gaze swept the other woman, who was clad in an ample black mantle which ended in a hood. "'Can you guess why I am here?' Theodora replied. "'You are wise and know a woman's desire better than she dares avow.' "'Can I guess?' replied Sidonia, returning Theodora's scrutiny. "'You have many lovers, Lady Theodora, but there is one who does not return your passion.' and you have a rival, a woman, more potent than yourself, has, notwithstanding your beauty, notwithstanding your beauty, entangled the man you love, and you are here to win him back and to triumph over your rival. Is it not so, Lady Theodora? More than that, replied the other, clenching her white hands and gazing into the eyes that met her own with a look of merciless triumph at what she saw reflected therein. It is all that, and more. Sidonia met her eager gaze. "'You would kill your rival,' she said with a smile upon her lips. "'There is death in your eyes, in your voice, in your heart. You would kill the woman. It is good in the eyes of a woman to kill her rival, and women like you are rare.' "'Your reward shall be great,' Theodora said with an inquisitive glance at the woman who had read her inmost thoughts. "'To kill—' "'Woman or man were a pleasure even without the profit,' replied Sidonia darkly. "'I come from a race ancient and terrible as the Caesars, and I hate the puny rabble. I have my own joy in making my hand felt in a world I hate, and which hates me.' She held out her hands, as if the ends of her fingers were trickling poison. "'Death drops on whomsoever I send it,' she continued, "'subtly, secretly. The very spirits of air cannot trace whence it comes.' "'I know you are the possessor of terrible secrets,' Theodora replied, fascinated beyond all her experiences with the woman and her trade. "'Such secrets never die,' said the poisoner. "'Few men, still fewer women, are there who would not listen at the door of hell to learn them. Let me see your hand.' Theodora complied with her abrupt demand, and laid her beautiful white hand into the no less beautiful one of the woman before her. Her touch, though the hand was cool, seemed to burn, but Theodora's touch affected the other woman likewise, for she said, "'There is evil enough in the palm of your hand to destroy the world. We are well met, you and I. You are worthy of my confidence. These fingers would pick the fruit off the forbidden tree for men to eat and die. Lady Theodora, I may some day teach you the great secret. Meanwhile, I will show you that I possess it.' With these words she walked to the chest, took from it an ebony casket, and laid it upon the table. "'There is death enough in this casket,' she said, "'to kill every man and woman in Rome.' 
Theodora fastened her gaze upon it, as if she would have drawn out the secret of its contents by the very magnetism of her eyes. For even while Sidonia was speaking, a thought flashed through her visitor's mind, a thought which almost made her forget the purpose on which she had come. She laid her hands upon it caressingly, trembling, eager to see its contents. "'Open it,' said Sidonia. "'Touch the spring and look.' Theodora touched the little spring. The lid flew back, and there flashed from it a light which for a moment dazzled her by its very brilliancy. She thrust the cabinet from her in alarm, imagining she inhaled the odor of some deadly perfume. "'Its glitter terrifies me,' she said. "'Its odor sickens.' "'Your conscience frightens you,' sneered Sidonia. Theodora rose to her feet, her face pale, her eyes alight with a strange fire. "'This to me?' she flashed. For a moment the two women faced each other in a white silence. A strange smile played upon Sidonia's lips. The aqua tofana in the hands of a coward is a gift as fatal to its possessor as to its victim. You are brave to speak such words to Theodora. Sidonia gave her an inscrutable glance. Why should I fear you, even without these, woman to woman, she replied as she drew the casket to herself and took out a vial, gilt and chased with strange symbols. Sidonia took it up, and immediately the liquid was filled with a million sparks of fire. It was the aqua tofana, undiluted, instantaneous in its effect, and not medicable by antidotes. Once administered, there was no more hope for its victim than for the souls of the damned who have received the final judgment. One drop of the sparkling water upon the tongue of a titan would blast him like Jove's thunderbolt, shrivel him up to a black, unsightly cinder. This terrible water was rarely used alone by the poisoners, but it formed the basis of a hundred slower potions, which ambition, fear, or hypocrisy mingled with the element of time, and colored with the various hues and aspects of natural disease. Theodora had again taken her seat and leaned towards Sidonia supporting her chin in the palm of her hands, as she bent eagerly over the table, drinking in every word as the hot sand of the desert drinks in the water that falls upon it. "'What is that?' she pointed to a vial, white as milk and seemingly harmless, and while she questioned, her busied brain worked with feverish activity. The aqua tofana she had used when she struck down Roxana and her too talkative lover on the night of the feast in her garden. But now she required a different concoction, to complete the vengeance on her rival. "'This is called Lac Misericordiae,' replied Sidonia. "'It brings on painless consumption and decay. It eats the life out of man or woman, while the moon empties and fills. The strong man becomes a skeleton. Blooming maidens sink to their graves blighted and bloodless. Neither saint nor sacrament can arrest its doom. This vial and she took another from the cabinet, replacing the first, contains innumerable griefs that wait upon the pillows of rejected and heartbroken lovers, and the wisest mediciner is blocked by the lying appearances of disease that defy his skill and make a mock of his wisdom. There was a moment's silence. At last Theodora spoke. "'Have you nothing that will cause fear, dread, madness, ere it strikes the victim dumb forevermore?' something that produces in the brain those dreadful visions, horrid shapes, peopling its chambers where reason once held sway? 
For a moment Sidonia and Theodora held each other's gaze, as if each were wondering at the wickedness of the other. "'This,' said Sidonia at last, taking out a curiously twisted bottle, containing a clear crimson liquid, and sealed with the mystic pentagon, contains the quintessence of mandrakes, distilled in the alembic, when Scorpio rules the hour, it will produce what you desire. How much of it is required to do this thing? Three drops. Within six hours the unfailing result will appear. Give it to me. You possess rare ingenuity, Lady Theodora, said Sidonia, placing her hand in that of her caller. If Satan prompts you not, it is because he can teach you nothing, either in love or stratagem. She shut up her infernal casket, leaving the vial of distilled mandrakes shining like a ruby in the lamplight upon the table. By its side lay a bag of gold. Theodora arose. The eyes of the two women flashed in lurid sympathy as they parted, and Sidonia accompanied her visitor to the door. As she did so a heavy curtain in the background parted, and the white face of Basil peered into the empty room. After a brief interval Sidonia returned. Her face had again assumed its forbidding aspect, as, removing the vials and seemingly addressing no one, she said, "'We are alone now.' At the next moment Basil stood in the chamber. His eyes burned with a feverish luster, and there was a horror in his countenance which he strove in vain to conceal. "'This must not be,' he said hoarsely. "'Why did you give her this devil's brew?' and staggering up to the table he gripped the soft white wrist of the woman with fingers of steel. Sidonia's eyes narrowed as she gazed into those of the man. "'Do you love that one, too?' she said, wrenching herself free. "'Or have you lied to her as you have lied to me?' "'Your voice sounds like the cry from a dark gallery that leads to hell,' Basil replied. "'You alone have I loved all these years, and for your fell beauty have I risked all I have done and am about to do.' Fear speaks in your voice, Sidonia replied with a cruel smile upon her lips. You are in my power, else had you long ago consigned me to a place whence there was no return. With me the secret of another's death would go to the grave. Nay, you do not understand, Basil interposed. The woman who has aroused Theodora's maddened jealousy is nothing to me. But I have other plans concerning her. She must be saved. Other plans? replied Sidonia darkly. What other plans? What sort of woman is she who can arouse the jealousy of Theodora? White and cold as the snows of the north. A stranger in Rome? The wife of one whose days are numbered, if I rightly read the oracle. What is this plan? Sidonia insisted. She is to be delivered to Hassan Abdullah, as reward for his aid in the great stroke that is about to fall. In the distance whimpered a bell. And, when the hour tolls, the hour of which you have so often prated, when you sit in the high seat of the senator of Rome, where then will I be, who have watched your power grow, and have aided it in its upward flight? Basil's face lighted up with the fires within. Where else but by my side? Who dares defy us and the realms of the underworld? Who indeed, Sidonia replied with a dark, inscrutable glance into Basil's face, Perchance I should not love you as I do, were you not as evil as you are good to look upon. I love you, even though I know your lying lips have professed love to many others. 
even though I know that Theodora has kindled in you all the evil passions of your soul, beware how you play with me." She threw back her wide sleeves, and two dazzling white arms encircled Basil's neck. "'Await me yonder,' she then turned to her visitor, pointing to a chamber situated beyond the curtain. "'We will talk this matter over.' Basil retired, and Sidonia busied herself, replacing the different vials in the ebony chest. After having assured herself that everything was in its place, she picked up the lamp and disappeared behind the curtain in the background. Deep midnight silence reigned in the gorge of Mount Aventine. End of Book Four, Chapter Seven.